you know, when I look back on it now, I was, my face was up against the wall managing a 25% growth in the business. I wasn't as close to the cash as I should have been without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and we'll come on to cash flow, I'm sure. But there was no I just wasn't as close to the cash as I should have been. So when something happened in the business that I wasn't on or looking for, it just killed in a very short space of time. Um, and because I had a, a, a fresh food business, I relied on fresh ingredients coming on a daily basis. And as a director, if you knowingly can't pay for a bill, you just can't take receipt of that product. So on a Monday, I found out that I couldn't pay a big supplier bill. And I'm faced with a decision on closing the business or not. And you know, morally and legally, I had to close the business. So, you know, by Thursday, um, the liquidator had turned up, took keys off me, and that was that. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of How Not to Run a Business. It's me, Jeremy Jacobs, your host, and I hope you're doing very well today. I was joined today by a very special guest. His name is Simon Waterfall, and he is the chief soda maker and MD of Soda Folk. But Simon was a business owner. He closed his business about 10 years ago. I was put in touch with Simon not long after I closed my business, after I put a post up on LinkedIn. Someone very kindly connected me with him. And we spent about an hour talking on the phone. He was incredibly supportive and incredibly generous. And when I launched How Not to Run a Business, I knew immediately that I wanted him on as a guest to come and talk to me. Simon is an amazing man. He's very generous with his time, with his openness with his honesty with his vulnerability and it's something which in my experience people don't do very often which is to sit down and talk through everything that happened with him closing his business he sat down with his accountant and four days later his business was closed and he shares his personal journey with that um through that whole process of closing his business right through to present day and how he's doing now so it's an incredibly important listen for any entrepreneur or business owner because like him like him i was always fearful of my business closing and it happened. It happened to both of us. And so if you want an insight into what it's like for someone whose business is closed, then I Im- encourage you to listen to what he says, because you will learn a lot because there's a lot of really important information in this podcast. So a cheeky self-plug just before we dive into the episode, I've got some free events coming up for entrepreneurs and people thinking of starting their own business. So head over to my website, jeremyjacobs.co.uk and check out the events page. I've also launched some new coaching and mentoring services and I'm offering my podcast listeners some discounted rates. So if that is of interest, if you run your own business or you are an entrepreneur, then make sure you drop me a line through my website, Instagram or LinkedIn. So now let's get started with the episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy. I'm here with Simon. Tell us who Simon is, what you're up to, Simon. We're going to dig into um, your entrepreneurial journey, your history, but let, let's hear a bit about who you are, what you're up to, what you do. Okay. So uh, currently, uh, Chief Soda Maker, aka MD of Soda Folk. Uh, we make nostalgic drinks that taste brilliant, um, don't sort of fly in the face of 
the trends that are going on at the moment, but look back on the category and just try and do it really, really well. Um, but I guess if we rewind, which is why we're here talking today, um, I started off leaving uh, home, wanted to be a fighter pilot, um, quickly found out that wasn't going to be my future because um, I failed the medical, unfortunately. Um, but then found myself go into retail, as lots of people do, um, working in a cash and carry. Uh, and then I think when I was 19, I saw an advert for this company I'd never heard of before called Audi. And uh, I applied. And at 19, I found myself running a supermarket, uh, working, working hard. Um, 100 hours a week was my first four weeks in the job. Um, but I ended up spending eight years with them. Um, I think they only had 10 stores when I first joined. Um, and it was an amazing experience. And you certainly learned uh, work ethic, uh, learned about the basics of retail and how to bat as a fire around, how to lead people uh, and how to, you know, I guess the forgings of your career. Um, it was great. Um, unfortunately, I got a bit bored after eight years, if I'm honest. Um, I was always trying little things. I remember one day I rearranged the the whole of the fruit and veg and put it at the front of the store rather than where it was sort of in the middle of the store. Uh, and I got the biggest bollocking ever. Um, even though I'd uplifted sales by about 18% by putting it as soon as the customer walked in, um, I got told off because it wasn't what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Following the, the yeah. sort of brand guidelines. Can yeah. I ask a quick question? Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, you mentioned about how those, what you learned, being you know working at Audi that that I assume that set you up and provided skills for when you run your own business because you know I hear we speak to a lot of people who are thinking about starting their business like, oh I don't know how to run a business I'm not sure but there's so much we pick up from our careers is that would you agree without a doubt and I guess if you put kind of all the legislation and health and safety and all that sort of good stuff to one side that the, the basics of how to lead people and how to work with people because yeah, people could be your customers, people could be the, the staff who work for you. And, you know, just understanding how to converse and how to get the most out of someone is just such a core skill that, that sits with you for your entire life. I mean, I'd, we'll come on to it, but I did a stint volu- as a vol- volunteer with a charity. And, and I'm sure without those sort of core people skills, I wouldn't have been able to make that a success. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and yeah, And... That- Okay, cool. And then the other question I had for you is, um, do you feel like you've always had this entrepreneurial spirit? Because do, doing Definitely. stuff like that is is quite a big Definitely. thing. Definitely. Yeah. I remember, uh, this is one of my childhood memories. We were driving down this road and I, I must have been um, eight, nine, ten. And I said, to, I said to Dad, oh, wouldn't it be great if those trees had smaller leaves and branches coming out and then they could be stuck closer together and then we could get more wood from the forest. <laughs> I was told to shut up quite swiftly. But no, I always had kind of a, a, I guess, an entrepreneurial, you know, how can be something done better? How can be done differently? What are the opportunities? They weren't necessarily grounded in making money. They were more grounded in, that kind of doesn't make sense. Why don't we do it a different way? Um, which I could let, let to me get in trouble in Audi, but... Yeah, no, it's, uh, I remember I, 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 um, there's many stories of people who are entrepreneurs that are like, oh, I started a lemonade stand at 12 or something like that. But I remember going to my neighbors to offer to wash their car for five. I was like, oh, brilliant idea. And I got rejected at the first one. I was like, right, that's it. I've had enough. 
and walked <laughs> off. I was like, I'm done. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's and it, but it's also that naivety of children. And I think um, some entrepreneurs talk about how using that as a skill in business to think like a child. I remember right, I wrote a letter to the prime minister when I was ten years old, going, yeah, saying why can't you're not saying maybe which I wasn't prime minister, are you? Oh no, I can't even remember. Um, John Major, maybe I was a bit younger. I don't know. Actually, I don't know how old I was, but I remember writing a letter because I couldn't understand why um, there were people starving in Africa and we had all this food. I was like, just go, give it to them. Just send the send them food. Of course, like you know, it's not as simple as that. But as a kid, I just was like, it just felt, seemed really obvious. But I get your your point about um, you know just looking at stuff from a. From a, I think that's a really key skill of any entrepreneur or business owner, whether or not you're, you know, like yourself, you're working as an MD in a company or you actually, you know, you have your own business, which you've had, um, having that ability to look at something and go, oh, no, I don't like that and actually change it and do something yes, about it. Yes. That's key, Asking it? why and then just, I guess, keep pushing until somebody gives in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you left Audi. I did. I, uh, I, what happened I, next? I'd done a good stint. I'd done eight years. And it got to a point where I was a bit bored, kind of done everything I could with the company. Um, and at the time, I didn't have a degree. And they wouldn't progress you in the business past store manager if you didn't have a degree. So I thought, done as much as I can. I've opened some stores, et cetera. Um, and my brother knew I was frustrated. And he was a successful business um, man in uh, had a business in, in Coventry. And he said one day, oh, can't buy a decent sandwich. And it kind of sounds really simple, but it was that simple. So I then spent probably six months looking into it, sitting outside on the road, counting it, you know, writing down the competition, investigating prices. Um, and then I sold my house, sold my car, so I had no debts, and basically gave up a, a great job with a good, you know, good career and started up a sandwich business. It's as simple as that, really. I love how but, you're laughing as you're saying <laughs> well, that. It, <laughs> well, I was driving around in, in an orange van. That was, that was a bit... I was, so I sold some, some really nice cars and just had an orange van and sold my house. Um, so what I really liked what you shared was how you're actually talking about... You, you took your time to do the prep work, to find out, to research, you know, sit outside, uh, do all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's always something which I bang on about now. And then you sold your house and your car. Why, why did you do that? To, to raise capital or funds? Or? Uh, raise capital, but also I was aware that I was taking a risk. And, I, and at the time... I, Ironically, at the time, I didn't want to, if it went bust, it was kind of, okay, and then move on to something else. But I didn't want to be in debt to anybody else. So I thought, if mm. I do those bits, then I can go into it content with taking a risk, but knowing, you know, at the end of that journey, if I'd used up all the money and hadn't made it success, then then that was that. Um, yeah. So it was around, I guess, minimising the risk, probably. Because um, I'm moving into a rented house and, and just started with the business that way, but knew I had X amount of money to, to make it a success in the early days. Yeah, that's interesting because I went to a networking meeting this morning and they were talking. Someone did a uh, talk on failure. So, Sam, if you're listening, he stole my idea. I was only joking. <laughs> Because I was like, this is my, this is my shtick. Thank you very much. I talk about it. No, I'm joking. So, so Sam did this amazing talk and, um, uh, and he was talking about failure and this risk, you know, this risk and avoiding risk. And when you fail, 
there's uh, you know this is again this is just anecdotal you know ideas about like what we experience but there's a there's an argument to suggest that that if you fail then you're either like more likely to try stuff out because you're like you've been there and it's not as been as bad as you thought or you're like fuck this shit i'm off i'm never doing that again um but and also why people tend to start again i don't have like proper statistics but there is evidence to suggest that people start businesses in recessions and economic crashes because they're like well what have i got to lose like i've lost my job or the uh, market's shit i might as well have a go now do you, do you agree go, or? Yeah, i definitely agree you can only you know that it can only go one way can't it in theory um if you start at the bottom um, yeah but yeah i mean i was all, in the early days i was all for minimizing the risk uh, that's not to say I didn't take risks as we grew because I did. Um, you know, ultimately I, I, I took a, a big risk at when the recession um, that was coming about, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but it didn't work out for me. But uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think your attitude to risk also changes depending how old you are and your circumstances. I'm not sure it's a constant through life. You think that people take less risk as they get older? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't start my own business now, I don't think, no. um, because I've got a smaller portion of my life left to get it right. Well, um, Colonel Sanders started KFC in his 60s. Did he? And, yeah, and um, now I'm going off memory. The guy who, Sam Walmart, who started Walmart, I believe started it in his 40s. Oh, okay. um, Samuel, L. Samuel L. Jackson, I know he's not a businessman, but he didn't get into films until he was in his 50s i think i remember so there's lots of evidence of people yeah there's lots of evidence of people who have started businesses later in life um so i get i get it like i'm 42 this year i have to think about that one and uh, i you know i closed my business last year and there are moments where i'm going why am i doing this again but i just literally can't think of anything worse than going back to work for someone else but in a year's time i might be like oh hi everyone i've gone back to work so i might have to eat my words but uh but no it's a really really interesting insight um simon um so so let's talk about the yeah so you so you've you've gone and done your research your your brother has started a, uh, you know, he's a successful businessman and you've done your research and you started the business. So can we talk briefly about that? Like, how did you get going? What sure. challenges did you have? Um, so I guess the, the, the business model was incredibly simple. You know, you get two bits of bread and you put a filling in it and you go out and sell it. Um, and we chose to target white collar workers. In those days, call them white collar workers who worked in out of town office. You know, the business. Turn your park. age there, Simon. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, the business the business parks had just started to, I guess, boom. Um, so it was an out of town business park where there was white collar working in it, put a person working there, and they were. The theory was they're prepared to pay a bit more for a sandwich. It was traditionally it was was serviced by people who were probably had a lifestyle business, weren't looking to grow a brand. So I thought, right, I'll grow a brand here. So, you know, everything was sort of logoed up. You know, the brand image, all the vans were orange. I wanted to improve the quality, the level of service, um, and was going to charge slightly more for it. Um, it was also going to be a Monday to Friday business, which was great because I'd come from retail where you're working and that's off for everybody all, all the time. Little did I know how the business would grow, but beside the point. Um, and it seemed like a great idea. So day one, uh, was sort of uh, the week before we went out and did the marketing and then 
uh, day one, we went out, or we made 12 the first day, I think it was. And I had my mum and dad helping me uh, in the kitchen. Um, and I think my wife took a, a week off work to help me in the first week. And we sold, I think, £54.60 odd the first day. Boom. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting the first order and it was just, it couldn't have been any of happier, I think. So so yeah, so you start so you started the business, obviously friends and family like they always do, uh, came in to to help and and so you but how long did you run the business for? Thirteen years. Okay. My memory's not serving me very well. So you you'd left out, did you leave Audi to start the business or yes. you started the, you no, did? I, so you I left it to start, yeah. And so you were intentional. And was there a gap between that? Did you have any I know you said you sold your house and your car, but did you have any financial buffer uh yeah i had a bit of buffer but there was a couple of months between leaving and starting but that was because they put me on gardening leave okay and would you do that differently now like let's say you rewind to back uh, yeah, then. I, I, I would try and run both at the same time but again that's just to try and hedge your bets and decrease risk at the start um depending what it is if it was something where you clearly you know at the time the business model was that we got up at six o'clock made a fresh product as fresh as you could get, deliver it to someone who wants it before 11, 12 o'clock, and then that was it. So it was a really lean, efficient business model that didn't need much time in the early days. So, yeah, I could have done both, I guess. And talk to me about the peak. So we're going to – what what I'd like to do is – well, okay. Oh, there's more than one. So at your – what you would say is your your peak of your business, because it ran for 13 years, and I'd like to understand the journey – as much as possible, but also I would really want to focus on the the when the business closed, um, because this is what we're talking about, really. Give me an idea of the scale to the business that came to whatever you're happy to share, whether that's number of employees or revenue. So we um we grew it steadily. Once it started getting some real traction, it grew really quickly. And we ended up with a, a van sales operation of about 10 vans, and I had uh, some franchise outlets. Um, it grew really, really quickly, had some shops within sort of office blocks, et cetera. Um, and we got up to about a sort of million and a half, two million. So it was, you know, it was growing great guns. And then as the re- so the first peak, I guess, was as just before the recession in 2008. Um, and how long had you been, sorry, how long had you been going at that point? Um, oh, you'll have to, must have been about. 10, 11 years. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, it got a fair bit of traction up to that point. And then we, I say we couldn't have been any busier. I had a team of 40 people. Um, we were making, we, at that point then, we were making, we were coming in at 10 o'clock at night and starting the night shift. Mm-hmm. Again, to keep the freshness and the quality and then starting to deliver out from sort of five, six in the morning. Uh, and then when the day starts again. Uh, and then we had, um, so the guys going out of the vans and then you'd sort of finish about two, three o'clock in the afternoon and sort of deal with all the ordering, et cetera, then. Um, so it was an all-encompassing business that was that had become seven days a week as well. So the entire week, daytime and nighttime, was all consuming, um, which was, I found that a real drain in itself. Um, and there are lots of other businesses out there that do that, but... Uh, I'm not sure I'd do the same again, um, just because of the draw on 
your mental focus and energy where you're dealing with this 24-hour, 365-day-a-year behemoth that requires lots of different skill sets at various points in the day. And there were times when I found myself doing a night and day shift just because that's what it needed because someone's off sick or someone's on holiday or somebody had fallen out or broken the toe or whatever. You end up just just, just plugging the gaps, don't you? Yeah. Um, which was tough. But anyway, that, that's, that's, you know, that's what it was. Um, then the recession approached and it was clearly obvious that the man in the office was going to stop buying sandwiches and making them himself because it was the first thing to cut back on. A bit like a net for those younger in the audience, a bit like a Netflix subscription model. <laughs> right now, yeah, everyone's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. no, can't afford that. Yeah. Um, so I thought, right, I need to start. I guess it was in a similar position to where we are now, where it's pretty obvious that a recession is on the cards. And I was thinking, right, what can I do? Well, first of all, renegotiate supplier contracts, try and batten down the um, the hatches around pricing and contracts and, you know, is my pricing structure right? Can I eat a bit more out, et cetera? Um, done that. And then I thought, I'm not sure this is enough. Um, and we'd started seeing people cut down already. So I started looking at the wholesale market. So who can I sell my products to that then can sell them on to somebody else? So using the same principles. So at the time, Ginsters was, was sort of huge. Uh, and they were supplying lots of schools and colleges. And if I'm honest, it was quite easy to go up and get to them because they couldn't do what I was I was doing. I bought locally. I say it was fresh as possible, and they just couldn't do that. Um, they would make in one day and deliver out in day two. So we started doing that, and it was growing great guns. We, you know, we were up 25% in the final year um, that we went. Um, but what I didn't factor in was the speed of growth speed of decline of the uh, the direct and consumer side, which was cash, mm. the upset in margins that I then would have in, in the business, and the, the knock-on effect that if something went wrong, and ultimately I had a couple of customers go bust, but things had got so close within the business in their switchover of margins, the change between cash and credit business that when these customers went bust, within four days, I'd lost the business uh, from finding out that something was was wrong. And people might say, how can it go in four days? Um, uh, you know, when I look back on it now, I was, my face was up against the wall managing a 25% growth in the business. I wasn't as close to the cash as I should have been without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and we'll come on to cash flow, I'm sure. But there was no I just wasn't as close to the cash as I should have been. So when something happened in the business that I wasn't on or looking for, it just killed in a very short space of time. Um, and because I had a, a, a fresh food business, I relied on fresh ingredients coming on a daily basis. And as a director, if you knowingly can't pay for a bill, you just can't take receipt of that product. So... On a Monday, I found out that I couldn't pay a big supplier bill. And I'm faced with a decision on closing the business or not. And you know, morally and legally, I had to close the business. So, you know, by Thursday, um, the liquidator had turned up, took keys off me, and that was that. Wow. Wow. Tough. It's incredibly tough. Yeah, even now, if I'm honest, I find it really 
because it's just such it, it was such a big event in my life um my wife all my friends all knew me as as monty's the business uh, people didn't know me as anything else um so you you kind of whole identity is wrapped up in what you're doing and then suddenly to lose it in such a spectacular fashion was a i just found it you know it was a bit of a killer we did obviously talk about this before because we've yeah. recorded this episode once before. But um, yeah, uh, no, uh, um, it's yeah. So thank you for, first of all for sharing that. I know it's I know that it will invoke emotion in you. It mm. does for me because we have a very similar yeah. uh, background in that we both ran a business for thirteen years and closed a business, and we both uh, you know uh, identified with how our identity is wound up in, in, in us. We become the business. Um, and it's, it's really hard. So I'd like to understand a little bit more about what, what actually happened. And also I do want to just go back and talk a little bit about like some of the technical stuff. Cause you mentioned some words sure. in there yeah. and I want to make this podcast as broad as possible. And First of all, you mentioned some things earlier about margins, um, so and cash and credit. So, I'd just like to get a little bit technical yeah, sure. about yeah, what yeah, that sure. what that was. So, you had a wholesale business which was credit. Is that right? So, yeah, could you just say a bit more about so that? I, so, I had a direct to consumer business which was um, a cash business. So, we served somebody in office and they gave us money. So, we were we were uh, we were taking money directly for something we were saying selling and keeping all of the margin that's in that between the cost and the sell. I then switched the business to a wholesale business, which means that you have to give away some of your margin. You're selling in bulk. You have to give away some of your margin, but you're not getting the money straight away either because you have to give them credit. And some of the bigger contracts that I went after, the schools, colleges, or police forces, or fire service colleges, um, they wanted between 30 and 60 days for, for, the, um, for the money. And when, when people say talk about companies not paying up on time it's exactly true companies don't pay up on time and it's a job in itself to get that back so the change in uh, margin and the change from cash to credit was was the big ease for me um, that changed the dynamics of the business yeah and it's really and just to just to point to something which i think is really you've highlighted and this is particularly important for people in the early stages of business and even later on it's what you said about this whole managing of your cash flow and of credit giving out credit so i did it for years i would hand out credit to businesses because when you're in your early stages you want the custom you don't want to put a potential block in the negotiation process of going no i want 50 they might just turn around and say no and go off somewhere else and so you do put your business at huge risk and i had one customer who we let i let get into forty five thousand pounds worth of debt and um and they and then and then lockdown happened and they and they i was like oh are you are they going to be able to pay it back thankfully they did but i put myself at huge risk so you i think you highlight a really important point and i think as business leaders when we start off or slash are slightly naive slash aren't close enough to finances we're a bit naive to i think there's a disconnect between what our sales are and what the cash is that we've got in the bank, and the understanding the relationship between the two, which couldn't be couldn't be further apart. Right. Okay. And so that would so uh, yeah. And I completely agree. And this is why I bang on personally about finances all the time. And that's what I when I work with 
my clients. That's one of the first things I go through. Um, and so cash flow forecast, right? Or some form of how would you manage that now? Or how do you manage um, that now? So, so I, if I'm honest, I thought I was close to it. I thought, you know, I'd had, I, I had the rudiments of business knowledge. I had my brother who was supporting me. And I ran a monthly cash flow. It was nowhere near either detailed enough or looking out on a regular basis. I should have been running a weekly cash flow you know, to be as close as possible that when something happened, I was on it or knew it was going to happen. Um, I knew a weekly cash flow now. Um, I, I, ironically, before sort of when we came out the first lockdown, whenever that was, it was like ages ago, um, yeah, I did. I did a um, little sort of thing on LinkedIn around cash flow, and I even sort of modelled out that as we come out of lockdown and start to get busier, you think that you're out of the woods because you're getting busier, but that's when you're going to be short in your in your cash. And I did some models. I had, I think I had one or two likes. The following week, I did some what would seem like sort of faceless social social media post uh, reposting onto LinkedIn. And it got, you know, 500 likes, but it was just a senseless, pointless, you know, thing to support what I was doing at the time. But hardly anyone looked at the cash. And I just think it's such a dirty word that, or dirty phrase or topic that either we put, bury the heads in the sand thinking it will go away or perhaps don't understand it and don't realise the seriousness behind it. You know, but having been through it, you know, I, I can bang on it till the cows come home just because how important I rate it now. I completely agree. And I don't understand. I mean, from my own personal experience, I think there was a lots of combinations of things about finance and maths. You know, for me, maths, maths I didn't particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite a dry subject. Accountants can be dry. Don't come at me other. <laughs> Not all accountants are dry. Oh, no, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are cool. Um, yes. I'm talking to you. Um, I don't want uh, to uh, Yes. Yeah, ex- <laughs> Actually, one of my, well, one of my good friends as an accountant so I have to be careful um but uh, I digress but yeah there's lots of different reasons and and we're both here like I had my own experience with getting myself into lots of debt uh, there is a podcast episode just a little self-plug uh, I did about this I think it's episode four or five about that how I got myself into 150,000 pounds worth of debt without knowing about it and guess what I'm cash flow forecast is one of the documents I look at or used to look at all the time. I have a personal cash flow forecast. I know from my own personal finances, because I know at the moment where I'm building my business, I need to know how long the money I've got in my bank is going to last me. So it's a super important point. But, you know, if people aren't going to listen, they're just going to have to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I genuinely, um, we, kind of, we, we joke about it because I feel the same as you, but I just, I hope people don't, learn what I had to learn because I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And, I, and I'm not, and I'm, yeah, no, but I, I, but I, I feel the same as you and I joke about it the same as you do, but I genuinely, you know, if today's about anything at all, it's that hopefully one person goes, well, perhaps I should look at that or let's contact Jeremy or Simon to, you know, what, what are the markers to look out for? Because it, it it's dreadful. I mean, it, 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 it ruined is a strong word, it shapes who I am today. And if I was to look at my timeline in life when I die, there's a black splodge in the middle. 
over the time this period happened. And one thing we, we haven't said yet is that not only did the business go bankrupt, I had to go bankrupt personally, which, which was an incredibly hard time for me. And even now when I think back at it, it makes me shiver because I just, it, you know, it took me eight, nine years to recover from that. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. But before I move on to that, I just want to kind of bookend what we were talking about, if that's all right. Um, uh, do you feel that the chances of, if you'd have paid more close attention to your numbers like you would now, do you think we'd, your business would have closed? Um, oh, crack it. That's a bold question, I know. Yeah, it is. We'd have closed. Um, no, I don't think it would have done. Uh, well, I don't. I can't say that categorically because I don't know what the options, what the cash options were out there for me to go and seek, and there might not have been any because we're going through a recession. Would, but would I have known what was ha- what that week was going to deliver ahead of time? Without a doubt. So yeah. then I would have had a decision to make ahead of that point of what I could have done. Yeah, interesting. And I am. Uh, I am actually starting to do, I've got a set up for June, a free webinar for entrepreneurs and business owners to take them through cash flow forecast, profit, loss and balance sheet so that they know. So there's no excuse because you can come on my free webinar and learn. And that's as simple as that, you know, so because it's so important and it drives me nuts that people don't pay any attention, but I also am sympathetic because I didn't, but you know, we learn, we learn, we live and learn, but this is the whole point of this conversation is for us to experience entrepreneurs to share our failures so that people can avoid them. So, um, so yeah, so let's move on to the kind of, um, the personal stuff. If you're happy to talk about that, yeah, of course, I, yeah. Yeah, you know, course. the impact on you personally, cause I know actually I get a little bit of a sort of overcome with a sort of shiver of emotion myself to just to understand what it's like, you know, myself, but yeah, share as much as you'd like about what the experience was in terms of closing the business and afterwards. Um, so uh, I found out on a Monday that we couldn't pay a bill. So I went and saw my accountant and said, fuck, I can't pay a bill. And it was the middle of the month. Normally at the end of the month, you have some jiggery-pokery around timings. And uh, he said, you're insolvent. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you're insolvent. And we, uh, I ended up, so I had a long, long detailed conversation, went back home and ended up sat my bed in tears. The, the dawning realisation that 13 years of my life, and at the time, that was a quarter of my life that I'd done this for. It was 70% of my adult working life that I'd done it for. Uh, and as I said before, my, you know, everybody knew me as, as the company. My wife only knew me as, as the business. Um, I guess my brand was was the business, personally and professionally. Um, I'd got two successful brothers. I said I had a brother who's running his own business and sold it. And then I had um, my other brother was in the military. I had a really good career in the military. Um, so there was quite a bit of... And they're both older than me. So there was a lot of success around me. Um, people who supplied me had become my friends. Um, and I was about to finish my business that then would have an impact on them. Um, so there was a bunch of, it's a whole boatload of emotion around 
who I was, the impact it would have on, on me, my family, my direct family, my extended family in terms of admitting failure um, and that I screwed up. Um, and it's, I, I just, I just I can't, it's, it's really difficult to describe the, the feeling of emptiness when it happens. Um, and it was the realisation that not just I'd lost the business and the business had gone bankrupt, I was then facing going bankrupt personally because of, you know, as the business, I, I went into it with no debt. As the business grew, I ended up signing um, um, personal guarantees for the bank, for overdrafts and all that such like, like that. Ended up factoring, signed personal guarantees. And then the business goes and the bank go, oh, really sorry about that, but can I have my money back? I haven't got any. Okay, we own you for the rest of your life. And you're faced with a decision and, and, and I went bankrupt, unfortunately. Um, and then you end up going to court and all the kind of horrible stuff that humility, you know, just embarrassing, feeling like a complete tool. Um, you know, I think your name goes in a gazette saying, oh, such and such, you know, company's gone bust, he's gone bust. And you just, my wife goes back to work full time. She's the only breadwinner. You have to cut your credit cards up. You're potentially losing your house. You have to sell your car. You know, it's just, every, I can understand how people end up on the streets. You know, they I heard just in a podcast I listened to that I said, you're only three steps away from potentially living on the street. And, you know, I, without doubt, I was stage one of, of, of that. Um, because you, you, you're losing your identity, any sort of wealth you have, any support you have. And it doesn't matter when people turn around and say, oh, it doesn't matter, and you've tried your hardest. It's just all kind of, it, it doesn't change how you feel in that moment. And unfortunately, that moment lasts quite a long time. Wow. Well, first of all, thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I know from... I don't, I, you know, from my own personal experience, I can only empathise with what, with what you, what you've dealt with. So, first of all, thanks for sharing that so openly and honestly, because not many people, in my experience, really do. It's all about success, and so it really, it's, uh, it's, it's a very courageous and brave thing to do. So, thank you. One thing I'd like to talk about is, is people's reactions around you, how you cope with that, because no one knows what to do. No, right. No, no, no. That's how we met, right? Because yeah, yeah. I posted about my closing my business and someone we both connected with very kindly introduced us. And you were very generous with your time and we had a, a great conversation. I even Googled, how do I deal with closing a business? Because I didn't know where to go. Um, and there wasn't really much on the internet about about it because I I don't know. I think probably a lot of people rightly so just like move on or are they dealing with stuff, right? But there is, I guess, there there is no right answer. There is nothing that people can do around you, and they don't know what to say. It's yeah, it must be. Um, it's bit, yeah, it's a bit weird because there's yeah, because people just don't know. You're right; people don't know what to say, um, and you don't know what to say either. Because because a large part of you just wants to dig a very big hole, jump in it, and cover it over, and hope it all goes away. Um, and you you also go from working a thousand miles an hour to suddenly not working at all 
and that's and I remember I remember I think day two or day three after it happened and I was driving down the road and my phone didn't ring on the way home and it was only when I got home the silence that was around me was massive it was it was it was deafening the silence because I was used to being on call all the time and always taking phone calls, whether it's the customers for, from, um, from staff. And it just suddenly was, was, there was nothing. So there's nothing inside. There's nothing in your life. There's no, nobody wants you. Nobody needs you. It's just a bizarre feeling. Yeah, I can. Well, I, yeah, I, I know that feeling myself. And um, it, it takes time to just how, how long would you say it took you before I don't know. I mean, it's such a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, emotionally, or I mean, yeah. Let's take all this. The, the you know, because I don't. I don't know. First of all, I don't know if you agree, but I mean, I know that you went through probably a more involved process. But that kind of legal side, it's all very kind of. Duh, 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 you have to follow a process, right? It's yeah, and I think because I went to an insolvency company, um, and they then basically meet you and take the keys off you, and you are a passenger and they they deal with all of it and take a massive amount of money by the way um but they they handle all of it and just tell you where to turn up what to sign and what documents they need and you just become from as soon as you do it you're just a passenger in the whole thing um and so there's no decision making from your side as soon as you've done the main bit which is deciding to hand it over yeah and that's not, that's not a nice process, is it? I mean, because I know for myself, I don't know about you. It's like you just want you just want to kind of go ah oh, fuck off and leave me alone yeah. and go and hide under your duvet or in your in your pit. Yeah. Uh, but you're having to go through this process mm. and give all this documentation, and in your case, yeah. maybe go through a court. It's just yeah. it's not nice, is it? I didn't no. enjoy it. And they send you a, they send you a letter say, right, you need to come to. I can't remember what meeting it was, but we're inviting all the creditors to the meeting. <laughs> oh, great. So you want me to sit across from a table from all the people that are very angry at me? <laughs> can't wait for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask a, 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 a potentially um, a controversial question. Ooh. Do you think, looking back now, this idea that people use this, it's just business, like when you close your business, it's just business as a way of kind of getting over that. Do you, what do you think to that? Is that true? Can you do that in your case and just go, well, uh, it's a business. That's the way it goes. I, I can't. Um, so one of the solutions the insolvency company give you when you go and talk to them about the options is to go to all the people you owe money to and go, really sorry, can we just clean our slate? please and what and say that we just don't owe each other any money and then we'll start again tomorrow I was like, you want me to do fucking what <laughs> you want me to go to people who are now my friends and go by the way you know that 20 grand i you if we just scrub it clean and we'll start fresh tomorrow mm. morally there was absolutely no way i could do that and he mm. was saying that lots of people do because they are very clinical about its business and if that person wants to get the business from you and trade, they'll do that because they'll yeah. just wipe, wipe that debt off and move forwards. Mm. And we all, I mean, we all know and read about the, the, the guys who start businesses and close them and move on quickly to something else, but it just wasn't who I am. 
And I think my, my problem was that I was so emotionally invested in the business and the success of the business and so close to it that on reflection, back to comment you asked me earlier, would it have gone bust? I might have chose to close it because mm. of what I knew and what I could see coming. And I then might have acted in and not felt the same because I was making more rational business decisions around what the future was. Mm. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? And it's, um, but it's, it, it, this is the whole point of this conversation is to mm. reflect and look back and think, well, how would we do it differently mm. based on what we know now? Because it's all in service of helping people to go through that, you know, if they need to go through the process, I've had quite a few people pr- approach me um, over the past six months who have closed or are thinking of closing their business because they want support and help. Mm-hmm. And I, the intention for me personally, I don't know about you, Simon, is not to put people off not from exactly, starting yeah. a business. No, um, not at all. No, not at all. It's just knowing what you need to know to run a business. Exactly. So what would you, what, I mean, I so said two things I'd love to talk about. First of all, how are you now? Like, how long ago was it that you what, closed the business? Before you made me talk about this or after you made me talk about it? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so how long, how long ago did you close the business? Ten years. Okay. and Ten, years, si- this, ten years this October. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. we closed the businesses at the same time. We should be, we should have oh, a party sweet. every year. So... If you, if 10, ten years ago, Simon was stood in front of you today, what would you say to him? Um, what would I say? It'll be okay. I, do, do you know, it will be okay. I, I've done some amazing stuff since, um, since the company went. I've got a degree. I've got a first class business degree that I never had and I've only got it now because of the company going as a consequence of the company going there's so many things that have happened and I wouldn't be doing the job I've got Um, there's so many great things have happened yeah and it's easy to say that sitting you know, yeah. I'm six six months, seven months in so I'm, I'm relatively, you know, it's still a little bit raw but 10 years on it you will you know and that's why i have to remind myself is it will be okay it will be okay it's if i'm honest in in kind of having this conversation it still is incredibly raw and when i drive down where the business used to be it kind of sends i I don't want to be there i don't want to drive through the area where the business was because it was such a big blot in my life loads to loads of positives to learn from loads of positives have happened because of it but it still makes me shudder. And even talking about this now makes me, makes me shudder because it, it put me back, you know, put me back five, 10 years in my life. And it, when you're at 40, apologies, I know you do now, but at 40, when you're going for it, it's not what you want to be happening at all. Uh, no, I had a mini, I had a mini breakdown yesterday. I'm like, I'm 42 this year and I closed my business, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, but you, we can't turn back time. We are no, where we are. We yeah, sure. we have to move on. And, and it and that I think brings me very nicely into I I did say I was going to ask you two things but because I'm getting old I forgot what I was going to ask you say so, well ignore that bit it comes back I'll ask you but it brings me very nicely onto this relationship um, with success and failure mm-hmm. so um, 
you you said uh, what is your what is your view now on what success is? I don't know. Mm. And what okay. I didn't want to do because I knew you were going to ask me this, and you asked me before. And what I didn't want to do is give you some flowery answer, yeah, that I'd researched and looked up. I genuinely do not know what success is. I genuinely do not know what I'm looking for now. And because I'm the type of individual who always wants success. And I don't know what that pot of gold looks like. I've got an amazing family. I've got an amazing wife. I've got a brilliant son. I've got an amazing extended family around that of friends, etc. I've got a brilliant sport that I'm involved in gliding. And I'm lucky enough to run an amazing brand. I should be very content and successful yeah, with, with what I've got. But I always want a bit more. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't know if that's the curse of an entrepreneur, that where you're always striving for the next thing that makes you question what success really is. Because everything around me should indicate and suggest that I, I've succeeded. And I, and I kick myself in not feeling content with what I've got. I had, a, I had a, there's an amazing coach called Sasha that um, that I've been using for sort of a year, year and a half, and quite often she would be pressing me about this subject, and I just, I, I genuinely, I don't know what it is, I don't know what it looks like because I should be very happy and very successful. <gasps> you use that, the word should, should be, should be, maybe that's the problem. You should, you're thinking you should be, so, that, and maybe ah, that's one of our problems. Like we should be somewhere. And this is what I'm understanding of success is, mm-hmm. it's like this, like this template of big house, big car. I did a list of all of these different things that p- people measure this idea of success. And actually the dictionary definition is literally to achieve an aim or an objective. And for me, success is defined by ourselves on a regular basis um so it's 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 open to interpretation in my view but that's why i'm trying to challenge this idea that success is this thing that we chase um and it changes and yeah you know it's um but it's interesting to understand people's understanding of what success is um and then on the flip side of that there is failure the 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 cursed word that no one's someone said to me today two people have said in the last 48 hours because i've been to two networking events and talking about failure and they two i've heard someone say to different people say to me there's no fe- failure there's only feedback and i was like fuck off there is failure it's called it's, it, it, where do they learn that where do they call uh, corporate do they learn that uh, exactly but it's like it's bullshit it's like of course there's failure. We fail all the time. Mm. And for me, it's changing that kind of like negativity around the word because failure means to not achieve success. It's as mm. simple as that. And we tie ourselves up in knots. Yeah, I think for me, failure is not learning from my past mistakes. Yeah, that's I like what, that. That's what failure ultimately is, is, is knowing something having been through it, but they're not learning from that and then failing again, where that's the ultimate failure, where you just, you're too inarrogant or you haven't listened or you haven't learned or whatever it is. And that's when you really fail. Because how can we, 
yeah, if you look at why Elon Musk, whether you do or don't like Elon Musk, is 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 in, yeah, regardless. But yeah, the guy's the guy has done what he's done in terms of SpaceX through his attitude to failure and and successfully achieving what he wants to, in knowing that he's got to fail to make those incremental steps as quick as possible to get where he wants to get. Yeah. And knowing that it's not going to be 100% every single time, but he's going to learn from that and move forward. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's um, it's important to recognise that there's lots of examples of, well, I say lots, there's tonnes of examples of people that have in, who are deemed successful have failed. I always use Virgin Coda as an example. I don't know why, but Richard Branson's got loads of ventures that he's done that have, have failed yeah. miserably. Oh, it's quite apt because you, uh, you have the soda yeah, company. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and, um, and also <laughs> for, I have tried... Go on. For those who don't know, Virgin Cola was around uh, for those who are younger than 25. <laughs> Just so. Yeah, go, go and Google it. Um, <laughs> Look in the museum. Uh, Exactly, and I and I have tried your uh, your sodas, and they're very very nice. So that is I, I'm. So that's the next question: is how, how could if if you want to be found, <laughs> how do we find you online? Are you are you? Yeah, find uh, me on LinkedIn. Um, I say yeah. you come to me directly via LinkedIn. Um, um, I say company soda folk. Um, feel free to reach out and have a chat. It's no problem at all. Yeah, and um, for for me, Simon, um, you know, you're an incredibly generous, kind, patient, uh, intelligent man um, who's been very generous for your time with me personally, but also in this conversation, take two. Um, and for me, that is personally that is a is a successful human being, not Thank running you. around the world being a massive dick. So, and you're not. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you that, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. No. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. No, likewise. And yeah, and uh, you've, yeah, it's been really good to chat to you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.